Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips about improving the health and well-being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory, or even the quality of a senior's health care. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. In today's episode, we are going to talk about vitamin B12. In my work as a doctor for older adults, there are actually two vitamin deficiencies that I come across often. One is vitamin D deficiency, which I covered in episode 11 of the podcast. And as I explained in that episode, vitamin D deficiency is very common, but it's actually uncommon to remain deficient if you take a daily supplement of 800 to 1,000 international units per day, as recommended by expert societies, including the Institute of Medicine and the American Geriatric Society. So I do recommend to all my patients that they take a vitamin D supplement. And if you'd like to know more on that topic, please listen to episode 11, as I explain in more depth and also address some frequently asked questions, like what type of vitamin D to take and so forth. So that's vitamin D. But in this episode, we're going to talk about the other common vitamin deficiency in older adults. It's one that's been covered less in the media than vitamin D, although there was just recently a New York Times story in the well section by Jane Brody on vitamin B12. And so that's the vitamin. That's the other deficiency that's very common. It's vitamin B12 deficiency. And experts estimate that up to 20% of people aged 50 and over may be low in this vitamin. Basically, the older you get, the more likely you are to be low or even frankly deficient. And this really matters from a public health perspective because vitamin B12 deficiency can cause a number of serious health problems. Now, traditionally, Vitamin B12 deficiency was associated with a certain type of anemia called pernicious anemia, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in the episode. But vitamin B12 is also uh, deeply involved in the proper function of nerves in the body. And so deficiencies can cause nerve difficulties, which can mean difficulty uh, walking and balancing, and can also mean difficulty with thinking and brain functions. So in other words, Low vitamin B12 levels can cause cognitive impairment, which is our fancy medical term for the brain not working as well as it should. And understandably, that's an area of great concern to older adults and to those of us who are health professionals for older adults. Now, strangely enough, even though it's been documented that vitamin B12 deficiency is quite common, it's often not checked for until it causes serious health problems. But of course, if you as a patient or family caregiver learn more about vitamin B12 and when it's most useful to ask the doctors about checking for deficiency, then you can help ensure that this common vitamin deficiency is detected and treated sooner rather than later. And ideally that the deficiency or lower levels are detected before they become problematic because usually this is a deficiency that develops over a few years. So in this podcast, I'm going to start off by telling you a little bit more about what this vitamin does in the body and how it causes health problems when the levels are low. I'll explain why low levels become increasingly common as people get older. 
I'll review the most common risk factors for having low vitamin B12 levels, and I'll tell you a little bit more about who should be checked for deficiency and how this diagnosis can be confirmed. And then we'll talk a bit about how the deficiency is treated. And I'll close with my top tips on vitamin B12 and avoiding harm from deficiency for you. And of course, I do have a written article on this topic. I actually wrote for the website, A Place for Mom. I wrote an article on this topic about a year ago. And so I will put a link to that article that contains just about all the information I'm going to tell you today. And then of course, in the show notes, I'll have links to a few more articles too. So now let me tell you a little bit more about what vitamin B12 does in the body and how low levels uh, end up being harmful. So vitamin B12, it's also known as cobalamin, is especially vital to two systems in the body. One is that it's vital to the process of making red blood cells. And the other is that it's vital to the formation and maintenance of properly functioning nerve cells. So when the levels get low, people develop problems related to the red blood cells and to the nerve cells. And it actually turns out that they probably, in most cases, will develop problems related to the nerves not working well before they develop really obvious anemias. But that may not be the case for all people. So the most common problems related to low vitamin B12 levels, uh, one is anemia. And so this means low red blood cell count. It does not necessarily mean you're low in iron. I'm planning to do another episode at some point about anemia and red cells and irons because I know people are often a little bit confused about it. But anemia itself means low red blood cell count. And that can be due to many things, and low vitamin B12 is one of them. And red blood cells carry oxygen in the blood. So once anemia gets bad enough, people often feel tired, they feel short of breath, especially when they're exerting themselves. And then because improperly made red blood cells break down quickly, that can cause jaundice. So those are problems related to red blood cells when vitamin B12 is low. And those same red blood cell problems can also be caused by a deficiency in a related vitamin, which is called folate. But in the United States, food is quite fortified with folate, so it's become fairly uncommon now for people to be deficient in folate. So now what about the nerve problems related to vitamin B12 deficiency? So we can basically categorize the nerve problems into two types. One is what we call neuropathy. And this basically means that the nerves, especially the what we call the peripheral nerves, so those are the nerves outside your brain, the ones that sort of reach out to the rest of the body and uh, relate to touch and sensation and then sometimes also to muscles. Neuropathy means that those nerves are not working well, and this can cause a variety of symptoms, including tingling, numbness, burning, poor balance, and also walking difficulties. And then we have cognitive impairment. So this means that nerve cells in the brain are not working very well. And this can cause memory problems, irritability, and even dementia. Now, let me briefly go back to the issue of anemia. You may have heard that vitamin B12 deficiency can cause pernicious anemia. And sometimes the two terms are conflated and people use the term pernicious anemia for vitamin B12 deficiency. But in fact, the term pernicious anemia is basically a type of vitamin B12 deficiency. It means vitamin B12 deficiency that's caused by the loss of the body's ability to make something called intrinsic factor that's used in um, the stomach to help absorb vitamin B12. 
And a certain number of people become unable to make intrinsic factor as they get older. It's actually a certain type of autoimmune disease. And so this can cause um, anemia, although it can also cause nerve and brain problems first. So uh, not all vitamin B12 deficiency is pernicious anemia, but pernicious anemia is caused by low B12, and it's caused by low B12 due to low amounts of intrinsic factor. But there are other ways for people to have low B12, especially older adults. And so we'll talk a little bit more about those different causes of developing vitamin B12 deficiencies as we go through the episode. So now, why are low B12 levels so common in older adults, and why does it become more common as people get older? So to understand how this happens, it's good to start with a little review of how the body usually obtains and processes this vitamin. So in nature, vitamin B12 is an animal product. It is only available to humans in meat and dairy products. But in modern times, many foods are fortified with additional synthetic vitamin B12. And so you can get your vitamin B12, one with the fortified foods, but um, even more effectively through a supplement or a multivitamin. And when it comes to vitamin B12, it turns out that the body only really needs a teeny tiny bit every day. The recommended daily allowance for vitamin B12 is 2.4 micrograms per day. And experts have estimated that the typical Western diet contains five to seven micrograms of vitamin B12. And then a multivitamin often contains 12 to 25 micrograms. So it's pretty easy to meet the requirements. And then once you ingest the vitamin B12, it's processed by acids and enzymes in the stomach and small intestine, including the intrinsic factor, which I mentioned uh, before. And then that sort of uh, uh, vitamin B12 that's in a complex that has been processed by the body gets absorbed by the small intestine. And then it's stored in the body, especially in the liver. And it can remain stored there for months or even a few years. And the stash that most healthy people have in the body should be able to last at least a year or two. So since the body only needs a teeny bit every day, if a healthy person or if a person with a normal healthy stash of vitamin B12 in the liver stops taking in vitamin B12 or becomes suddenly unable to properly absorb it, it will take a while, again, months or years before the body runs out of stored vitamin B12 and develops symptoms. So now, why does this become especially a problem for older adults? Well, it turns out that as people get older, their ability to absorb vitamin B12 tends to decrease. And there are a couple of reasons for this. One is that older adults often develop problems with the acids and stomach enzymes needed to process this vitamin. So some common risk factors for low vitamin B12 levels include one, having low levels of stomach acid. This can be due to weakening of the stomach lining, which is sometimes called atrophic gastritis. But it can also um, very commonly now be due to taking medications that reduce stomach acid. So these medications are uh, widely taken right now in the United States. And those include medications that are in the class proton pump inhibitors. The sort of classic one was Prilosec, the purple pill, which used to require prescription but now can be bought over the counter. The generic name is omeprazole. And then there's another class of acid-reducing medications, which are called H2 blockers, and that would include a medication like Zantac, which also is now available over the counter. So 
when you have less stomach acid, that can interfere with the ability to absorb B12. And it's fairly common for older adults to either be taking those medications or have developed a weaker stomach lining for other reasons. There are also some other medications not particularly related to stomach acid that are known to interfere with vitamin B12 absorption. Probably the most commonly taken one is called metformin. The brand name is Glucophage, and that is an oral medication for diabetes, very commonly taken because it's actually one of the best medications for diabetes, has a long track record, and otherwise does very well. So, But it does interfere with vitamin B12 absorption, and many older people are taking metformin for type 2 diabetes. Uh, other things that can interfere with um, absorption, alcoholism which irritates the stomach and is sometimes linked to a poor diet, having had a surgery that removes part or all of the stomach or small intestine. And then any problem that causes poor absorption in the stomach or small intestine, such as Crohn's disease, uh, can affect vitamin B12 absorption. And then less of an issue in the U.S., but sometimes an issue in developing countries, certain types of tapeworm or parasitic infections can also uh, be a problem. And then there is the possibility of having the pernicious anemia type of difficulty absorbing. And so in that case, it's actually uh, an autoimmune condition. Antibodies attack the cells that make intrinsic factor, which is this factor in the digestive system that helps process the vitamin B12 and make it absorbable. And that tends to become more common as people get older also. And so again, experts estimate that up to 20% of people 50 and over are having difficulty absorbing their vitamin B12, and so they can be at risk. So if it's so common, why is this deficiency often missed in older adults? And I think there are a couple reasons. Probably the main one is that the symptoms of low vitamin B12 are common and can be easily caused by something else. And so uh, medicine, we call these nonspecific symptoms because they aren't specific to any particular disease. And actually, they're symptoms that come up with lots of illnesses or diseases. So these are symptoms like being tired. That's very common. That could be caused by a wide variety of things. Even anemia, low red blood cell count, can be caused by a number of different underlying health problems, which we'll go over in more depth in a, in a future episode. Likewise, neuropathy, that uh, problem where the nerves in the legs or arms or otherwise in the spine that are responsible for, for vibration, for position sense, for balance, for touch, when those don't work very well, that's another problem that can be caused by many things, namely type 2 diabetes is well known for causing peripheral neuropathy in people who've had it for several years. Again, memory problems it can be another symptom of vitamin B12 deficiency, but that also is fairly common in older adults and can be due to a wide variety of things. And then walking difficulties, again, common problem that can, um, that actually tends to almost always have multiple causes that are making it worse. And we call those multifactorial problems. They're very common in older adults. Last but not least, an additional challenge in detecting vitamin B12 deficiency is that it tends to come on very slowly. So it can be hard to notice it coming on, and then people go through this long period of being mildly deficient where maybe the problems they're having are slowly getting worse, and it can be just hard to spot it and realize that a little bit more investigation is necessary. And it's very easy to attribute these symptoms to another chronic health condition the person has. 
Still, over time, a mild deficiency almost always gets worse. And even if an older adult does have other causes for fatigue or mobility problems, it's important to try to identify and fix any aggravating factors, such as a vitamin deficiency, that actually can be treated. And the good thing is that vitamin B12 deficiency is treatable, and people can improve once their low levels are corrected. So the key is to make sure that it is detected in people who are at high risk or who are having symptoms that could be related to low vitamin B12 levels, and then make sure that the treatment plan has raised the levels and kept them steady. So who should be checked for vitamin B12 deficiency? Well, first of all, I would say uh, that an older person should be checked for vitamin B12 deficiency if he or she is experiencing any of the health problems that can be caused by low levels of this vitamin. So I especially recommend uh, making sure it's been checked if you've been concerned about memory problems and checking vitamin B12 is supposed to be part of any evaluation for cognitive impairment or dementia or memory or brain function. And then I also recommend making sure that vitamin B12 levels have been checked if uh, There have been concerns about neuropathy, so numbness, tingling, pain, uh, especially in the feet, if there have been any difficulties with balance or walking, and then if there has been any anemia. And you have to be a little careful with the anemia. Classically, what we're taught in medical school is that anemia due to vitamin B12 deficiency causes a certain type of anemia that is called megaloblastic, and it basically means an anemia where the red blood cells get bigger than usual because there are some anemias in which the red blood cells stay their usual size, and there are some, notably iron deficiency anemia, where the red blood cells actually get smaller than usual. So when I was in medical school, the typical teaching was that low vitamin B12 causes um, anemia, but that the red cells are bigger. But in fact, what um, has been found out by examining the course of vitamin B12 deficiency more closely is that quite a lot of people have low vitamin B12 levels, may even be having symptoms and have red blood cells that are a normal size or may not even have anemia, may have a sort of normal level of red blood cells in their blood. So if the, if the older person doesn't have anemia or if they have anemia, but the red blood cells are of normal size, that's not a reason to discount the possibility of low vitamin B12 levels because we now know it's quite possible to have low vitamin B12 and still have either a normal red blood cell count or anemia with red cells that are the normal size instead of the classically enlarged size. And then just because I think it's quite easy for people to have a very mild vitamin B12 deficiency that's going to slowly get worse over a few years, I do recommend that people ask to be checked for low vitamin B12 levels if they have any of the other risk factors, especially if they have low levels of stomach acid or if they've been taking one of the medications known to affect absorption for more than a year or two. And so those medications are especially the ones that lower stomach acid and then metformin. Lastly, if you or your older relative is a uh, vegan or vegetarian, it can be worthwhile to um, be proactively checked as well. So now what's involved in checking for vitamin B12 deficiency? How do we diagnose this condition? So the first step in checking for deficiency is a blood test to check the serum level of vitamin B12. The normal level depends somewhat on the lab, but generally it's accepted that a level of over 300 to 400 picograms per milliliter 
is considered normal. And then a level below 100 is usually considered frankly deficient. Now, there are quite a number of people who fall into this sort of uh, intermediate level, which is often called borderline. It'll be between 100 and um, 300, say. So there is an additional test that can be done and that is recommended by experts to do if the level is borderline or close to the low side of normal and you otherwise are concerned about symptoms or have what we call a high level of suspicion that the person might be vitamin B12 deficient. That test is called methylmalonic acid. And this product actually becomes higher when people are low in vitamin B12. This is a, um, a product in the body that's part of a whole biochemical cascade. And it basically needs vitamin B12 to move on to the next step. And so when there's low B12, this product accumulates abnormally and you get a higher level. It's not clear that high levels in of themselves of methylmalonic acid are harmful to the body, but they're an indicator that the body doesn't have enough vitamin B12 to be doing what it needs to do. So my own practice is that if an older person has a vitamin B12 level of less than 400, I order the methylmalonic acid to um, check and see whether it's normal or high. And then also when evaluating for low B12, doctors should, of course, ask about and document the presence of uh, common symptoms and also take a little bit of a dietary nutrition history to try to find out whether the issue is that the person doesn't orally take in you know, food containing B12 or not. And that can help guide the doctor and patient towards what might be the underlying cause of the health problems and of the low vitamin B12 levels if there are one. So if the blood tests confirm a vitamin B12 deficiency, then the doctors will prescribe vitamin B12 supplementation to get the body's levels back up. And this is basically the way we treat low vitamin B12 levels. We especially focus on extra supplementation to bring the levels back up. So historically, the typical initial treatment for a significant vitamin B12 deficiency was to give intramuscular shots of vitamin B12 usually shots of 1,000 micrograms, and you may have had those or you may know somebody who had to keep going back to the clinic for shots. Usually they do it a few times a week for the first week or two, and then they go to every week, and then they go to every month. And depending on the underlying cause of why the person was low in vitamin D, if it was because of pernicious anemia, meaning that it's a, a lack of intrinsic factor due to autoimmune disease, or to chronic weak stomach lining, people will need vitamin B12 supplementation indefinitely, generally for the rest of their lives. So this was often done with injections, and this bypasses absorption problems in the stomach or intestine. But over the past several years, researchers have studied high-dose oral vitamin B12 supplements of 1,000 to 2,000 micrograms per day, and they found that those actually also raise levels, and that after three months, when they compare people who've had the traditional series of intramuscular B12 shots to the people who took a daily high-dose supplement every day, the vitamin B12 levels correct just about as well. So my experience has been that uh, most people don't like shots and that they would prefer to take an oral medication. That said, for the oral medication, uh, the oral supplement to correct the deficiency, the person really has to be willing and able to take it every day. So every day. And that can be hard for people. That can be especially hard for older people who live alone, who maybe are already having memory or cognitive difficulties, who might be overwhelmed with other health problems, or who might be overwhelmed by a long medication list. So for people who, um, if you're not 
really quite sure that they'll be able to take the supplement every day, it's potentially better to go with injections because then you have somebody sort of confirming that the medication was delivered. But otherwise, daily high-dose oral supplementation has been shown to work, even in people who are lacking intrinsic factor, and that's because the body actually has a backup system for absorbing vitamin B12. And if you flood it with enough vitamin B12, you can get enough to correct a deficiency and meet the body's needs. Now, you may be wondering, is it dangerous to take too much vitamin B12? Well, there are certainly a lot of vitamins for which it is dangerous to take too much, but those are usually the fat-soluble vitamins, so that does include vitamin D. But vitamin B12 is water-soluble, and as far as we know, if you take too much, you just pee it out, and nobody has confirmed any harm from taking high doses. So if uh, you or your older relative is being treated for vitamin B12 deficiency, don't worry too much about the doctor's overshooting. Instead, what you really want to do is make sure that there is a follow-up test arranged at some point within the next few months to confirm that the vitamin B12 levels are going up as expected. And then you'll work with the doctors to find the right maintenance dose of supplemental vitamin B12 to keep you steady. And then depending on the situation, you should also talk with the doctors about whether a little bit more testing to identify potential pernicious anemia or another underlying cause is worthwhile or not. My experience has been that often in clinic, we just start treating people with supplemental vitamin B12 and we move on. But I think in some cases, a little bit more investigation to find out if there's an underlying cause beyond medication side effects can certainly be worthwhile. Now, since we know that vitamin B12 is involved in proper brain function, is it beneficial for people who don't have a documented deficiency to take extra vitamin B12? This is a topic of interest right now with all the interest in healthy aging and brain health. It's being researched. So far, it's not clear that if you already have a normal level of vitamin B12 that you benefit from extra. But many people are low unless they take action and start taking a supplement. So my take is that deficiency is common and is definitely harmful. And so you really want to focus on detecting and making sure that you don't have a vitamin B12 deficiency that's been missed and that isn't being adequately managed. Now, if you haven't been checked, but you're just trying to be proactive, should you just take, say, a thousand micrograms of vitamin B12 per day? This is the medication that's available over the counter. You don't need a doctor's prescription. My take on that is that I don't think it's going to be harmful. Uh, I still think that if you have any concerns that a deficiency is possible, either because you have one of those symptoms that could be due to it, or you have reasons to have low levels of stomach acid, or you're vegetarian or vegan, I think instead of just preemptively taking a high-dose supplement every day, it's better to actually ask the doctor and be checked, because uh, in some cases, that high-dose supplement of 1,000, for instance, micrograms per day isn't enough. So so I think if, if you think it could possibly be there, it's worth having it be checked at least once. And then as people get older, if it's been five years and now they've developed symptoms, you don't want to look back at the chart and say, oh, it was normal five years ago. At that point, it should probably be rechecked again. However, if it was checked three months ago and it was fine, then people aren't going to develop a deficiency over three months. So now to finish up, I'll just summarize my top tips related to vitamin B12 and vitamin B12 deficiency. So really, my take-home point for you is that this is one of the two vitamin deficiencies that I diagnose in older adults routinely. It is common, 
um, it is harmful and it is treatable. So I think it's worth uh, making sure if you've had any concerns about memory or falls or signs of neuropathy in yourself or in an older loved one, I think it's worth making sure that the doctors have checked for it and asking them what they found. Also consider being checked for a low level of vitamin B12 if you or your older relative has been on metformin or on a drug for stomach acid. When you get the level, if it's borderline, and my own personal rule of thumb is less than 400 picograms per milliliter, ask about the methylmalonic confirmatory testing. And if it's high, that would be consistent with vitamin B12 deficiency. If you are diagnosed with low levels of vitamin B12, ask the doctor about checking for underlying causes and whether they think it's worthwhile for you to be checked for a problem with intrinsic factors. So that's the pernicious anemia type of low vitamin B12. And then when it comes to treatment, remember that oral vitamin B12 at high doses taken daily has been shown to be effective. So that's an option, but should probably only be pursued if you're sure that the older person being treated can take the medication reliably every day. If not, regular intramuscular injections might be a better way to go. Last but not least, don't assume that taking a multivitamin will protect you from vitamin B12 deficiency. And that's because the amounts available in most multivitamins are enough to keep your vitamin B12 levels normal if you have a normally functioning absorption system in the body. But many older adults, uh, for various reasons, do not absorb vitamin B12 properly. So be sure to consider this deficiency and make sure it's been checked for if, again, any concerns about memory, falls, neuropathy, or if you've been on the medications that are known to affect vitamin B12 levels. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. And I'll also be posting there some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in this episode so that you can learn more about vitamin B12 and vitamin B12 deficiency. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. If you've already done that, thank you so much. Please consider now leaving a rating and a review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes, and I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.